Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whipek, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have on with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. Jeff, it's great to uh, have you on this morning. Good to be here. So Jeff, uh, a lot of really interesting things been happening, uh, not only in the marketplace, but the way that market participants are reacting to some of the recent events. And so for today's conversation, I think it's going to be something that's very interesting, just in uh, undergoing a discussion about the psychology of investing and really understanding kind of what makes people tick and the way that they process information. So if you could, can you first talk about when we throw out the term psychology of investing, what are we uh, really referencing or referring to when we make statements like that? Well, we're, I mean, to boil it down to its most basics, we're just talking about the, the, uh, the emotions of investing. I mean, most people, um, if you really want to kind of boil down people to their very, very basics, I mean, most people have a fight or a flight uh, type of environment for really anything. If you kind of go back historically to when we were living in caves rather than in houses and so on, you had to be able to size up a situation and make a decision if you were going to stand and fight or if you were going to flee a particular situation. And so it's it's kind of an ingrained, uh, almost DNA thing uh, for most people is to, to try to size up situations uh, most of the time with completely um, incomplete information uh, and allowing their gut to, to drive decisions uh, that may or may not be beneficial for them uh, in, in the long run. So when we're talking about it from this kind of context, what we're talking about is people's uh, ability or uh, more precisely lack thereof of being able to make rational decisions based upon what they're they're reading about, what they're seeing in the, the news, what they're seeing on TV, and so on, is is either going to drive them uh, by you know, what we refer to as fear or greed. Yeah, and uh, I think that makes sense. So when we're in those high-stress situations where we have to make quick decisions, that fight-or-flight instinct comes in, why is that so, uh, or why can that rather be so damaging when making financial decisions? Well, a few things come into play uh, with it, really. I mean, you know, one of the, the biggest things that I think that uh, ends up happening is people have a, a thing called recency bias with, uh, with how they're making decisions. So they'll see the markets drop, they get fearful because they've experienced other previous drops, not really being able to uh, distinguish the differences between uh, what's going on in the current market environment compared to what they've been dealing with before. Uh, but more precisely, to answer your question, uh, what we're dealing with under these circumstances is if if one was completely clinical, the, the concept obviously is to buy low, sell high. Uh, and so you wanna uh, get out of the market when everybody else is in a feeding frenzy and you wanna be buying when everybody else is to, you know, selling things and driving the markets down. And really uh, most people cannot um, you know, separate themselves from the emotions uh, to make clinical decisions on what's going on. So what ends up happening under the circumstances is people invest when they feel comfortable and they get out when they don't feel comfortable. And so you get this kind of roller coaster of how people invest. And again, uh, they invest when risk is off the table. And when risk is off the table, the markets tend to uh, underperform. Uh, then they see you know, the markets underperforming and then pile more money into it because uh, basically they need more of their money working to get the returns and, and the total um, you know, dollar figures out of what's going on with the market in order to make that work, uh, and only to catch investing at the top of the market. 
and then once the market starts to turn south, they go from you know being you know ecstatic about what's going on with their performance to being in you know basically denial that uh, that the markets are going down, uh, all the way down to kind of panic mode, uh, and then getting out. Uh, and they get out at the most inopportune times because they're again allowing their emotions to make the driving factor behind uh, what they're doing within the market. So um, again, uh, the, the translation is they're buying high. Uh, the markets then you know, take a, a little bit of a pullback, and then they're they're selling. And part of it is because there's kind of a weird psychology behind it. The, you know, there's the euphoria of making money, but uh, the statistics that I've always read and heard is that it's three times more painful to lose a dollar uh, than the euphoria of making one. So if you're down 5%, it feels like you're down 15%. You know, if you're down 10, it feels like you're down 30. And all of a sudden you're making panic decisions because uh, the emotions behind it are very different than the actuality of, of what's going on. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, the Just given the psychology of how painful a downside event uh, feels and something that uh, as an investor uh, want to keep in mind because uh, that can certainly lead to suboptimal decisions given the uh, the magnitude that it feels like when you go through an event like that. Um, Jeff, I know there's been a lot of different studies um, that have been conducted on just the magnitude or the effect that that has on wealth creation and portfolio returns. Can you walk us through some of those statistics just to give us a better idea of how pervasive of an issue that this is and um, just so that we can all be aware of what the potential impact is. Yeah, absolutely. So probably the most prevalent uh, group that has been studying this for decades upon decades now uh, is an organization called Dalbar. Uh, so Dalbar, what they do is they look at uh, mutual fund investors um, and they take people that are only equity, they take people that are that are balanced and so on. Uh, and look at what the returns are uh, over a period of time. The um, the last study that I see out is looking at the 20-year annualized returns uh, within the stock market, within you know, what would be a 60-40, looking at bonds and stocks, uh, all the way down to the average investor. So uh, to put it in perspective, uh, from 2001 to 2020, so again, that's a 20-year time period, uh, the S&P 500 was up 7.5%. Now, most people are not going to be invested purely in stock. I mean, as much as they might want to sit there and say that they have the stomach to, very few uh, people that I've met uh, have that stomach to be able to go fully involved in the stock market. They talk a, a great game about doing that until the markets go down. Uh, so uh, this uh, same study has, again, a 60-40, which is, I would say, probably, given our current environment, probably a little too conservative. Uh, but even that had a 6.4% uh, annualized return. The average investor got a 2.9% return. So half of what would be a conservative uh, portfolio, uh, almost, you know, it's it's less than 40% of what the market has done. And it's barely over what inflation was, which was at 2.1%. So if you're really talking about wealth creation, as you were asking that question, you're talking about somebody getting a 0.8% higher return than inflation over the last 20 years. That's not creating wealth. Uh, that's just barely keeping your nose above the water uh, and uh, being able to breathe, but it's certainly not going to get people to where they want to be. And again, it's from them 
buying when they feel comfortable and trying to get out. They're trying to outperform those benchmarks, yet the um, the lack of knowledge of how to use research and, and technology uh, to their favor has led to uh, a very disproportionate underperformance within the markets. Yeah, Jeff, that's, uh, that's actually a staggering number, 2.9% versus 7.5% uh, or 6.4% if we use a more uh, moderate growth uh, profile. And uh, this is where those sayings go that uh, it's being in the market that's the most important factor um, because clearly people trying to time things or letting their gut uh, dictate when they are and when they pull out is having a severe negative consequence where it's uh, significantly uh, uh, reducing the return. So well, quite I think the, the two things that I would raise out of this is, is uh, out of this, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is pretty extreme, but I mean, it, it leads me to, to two reference points. One is that most investors are extreme. They're either in or they're out of the market. So you, when you talk about, you know, time in the market versus trying to time the market, yeah, I could agree with you more. We are a tactical shop though. And the one thing to keep in mind with that is that even we don't try to market time and we've got you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of research we you know spend 24 7 devouring the stuff we're all over it and the, the thing that you got to kind of keep in mind out of all of this is that when we make moves we make incremental moves you know you, you've heard me say this a thousand times before but i'd rather be partially correct and completely wrong when you are all in or all out as most investors do you, you flip a coin. You better be right. And then on top of it, you gotta be right at the right time, which makes it damn near impossible to do it versus we're watching all the technicals. We're making decisions based upon sectors. We're making decisions based upon individual securities and we're doing it incrementally to make sure that we get the right, you know, we, we make a move and then we pause and we see if we're on the right track. And if we are, then we take but you know bigger and bigger moves that direction but you know again people allow a five percent move in the stock market as we're seeing right now uh be a decision maker when there's nobody out there that i know of that can accurately uh, get in and out of markets with a you know a three to five percent swing which is going to happen three four or five times a year so again you get these people that are trying to time when to be in and when to be out of the market and they're truly playing a loser's game out of it but the other thing that I was going to bring up, Jeremy, which I think is, is equally as important is the planning element of it. You know, if you've got a, a written out quantifiable financial plan for yourself, you'll understand, you know, the risk necessary for you to get from point A to point B successfully. And then if you've got a trusted advisor truly helping you, and again, spending their, their, all their waking hours dealing with this and this only, the likelihood of you tracking that's going to be much better uh, again based upon dalbar based upon you know multiple other strat uh, studies out there that just show that the average person has very unrealistic uh, expectations for themselves they they uh, they get into this element of illusory superiority which is uh, the belief that they're above average uh, but yet they're not spending the time they don't have the knowledge base but they think that they're above average and uh, what they're doing for themselves only to be in denial uh, but and unwilling to take the risk necessary in order to get the returns that they want. So there's this really big disconnect. And so with a firm like ours, uh, the one thing that they can do is to to really work side by side with somebody who is a fiduciary, 
who has their best interest at heart and what they're trying to accomplish. And yes, we're going to take some sidesteps and yes, we're going to have some pullbacks in our portfolio. I've never uh, claimed that we did not lose money for people. We do. We just mitigate it. And it's about lessening those losses and then being able to be in a great position to step back in when things do calm down. Uh, that's the difference maker of what's happened with our firm and what's made us highly successful within the markets and, and helps people accomplish their long-term financial goals. Yeah, Jeff, I, I appreciate that insight. And you hit on something uh, that I think is sometimes commonly misunderstood, and that is Polaris being a tactical firm and having a lot of expertise in this area. We don't even try to market time because it's a fool's errand. Nobody has that perfect of information. Um, and you talked about being partially correct versus 100% wrong and taking in incremental steps. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean when you say that and how Polaris takes a proactive partial step and then looks for confirmation? Well, as you said, there's there's no silver bullet to this. I mean, if, if we were perfect with our in and outs of the market, um, A, we wouldn't be managing anybody's money other than our own. Uh, and we would be all multi-billionaires because we would have made you know, six, seven, eight hundred percent per year uh, on all the gyrations of the market and just been in and out as, as necessary. So uh, if it was that easy, uh, we wouldn't be even uh, on this podcast because we wouldn't want anybody to even get a sense of what we were doing in order to try to replicate it. Beyond that, you know, there's this belief sometimes that there are quantitative ways of being able to view the markets and have a, the ability to have absolute understanding of what's going on with the markets, which just simply isn't true. I mean, there are technical things out there that will give you a higher probability of being right versus wrong, uh, but they're not perfect by any stretch. Um, you know, so both technical, you can look at macroeconomics like we do, you can look at the fundamentals behind the companies, are they well-run companies, are they healthy? Uh, but also sentiment comes into play um, and you see Kind of these crowd movements were again fear of you know you'll see people kind of running out of the market and then back into the market and all sorts of other kind of crazy things that that will go on in any given day um, and then we've got to kind of make our decisions based upon those things so we'll be you know again we've got focus strategies and unconstrained strategies our focus strategies try to remain fully invested at all times and then when we do feel there's need to get defensive we will go upwards of 10 percent cash and then we will move from higher risk segments of the market to lower risk segments of the marketplace. Uh, you know, we talk about you know, defensive sectors, which historically have seen less downside volatility when more markets want to pull back. And so that's the, 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 the focus strategy. The unconstrained strategy, you know, if you kind of think about driving your car, you know, it, the, there, we have 100% equity strategies and we also have balance strategy in our uh, the 100%, you know, if the markets look fine, we're going to be 100% invested. If we start getting some, uh, you know, some signals that are uh, less than perfect, we might uh, pull back a little bit, slow the car down some, and, um, you know, start tapping the brake and allowing us to have a little bit of a buffer between us and the car in front of us. And then if we get confirmation that, you know, things are turning sideways or, or looking bad, we'll go more and more into cash, and we will go more and more into those defensive sectors also. So it's kind of a uh, kind of like a, a three-dimensional chess game rather than just a two-dimensional one. Uh, what we're looking at is is sector-specific as well as do we want to raise cash. But when we do that, I mean, like we might go from 100% on a 90. You know, take a breather, see what's going on. Okay, well now we're going to move to 80. 
uh, oh my gosh, there's something even bigger going on. Now we're going down to maybe 60. Um, you know, in the midst of COVID, for example, we started getting out very early in. Um, and again, so what we would do is say, we're 100% of us, we're going to take 10 from risky to, to uh, less risky segments of the market, but we're also going to take another 10 off the table. So that 20% increment is going to lower our beta, which is the correlation to the market. Uh, so we might go from 100% down to 90, but our beta might drop below uh, that 90% because we have lower correlated, more defensive stocks within the market. So the, the portfolio will trade as if it was less invested. By the time we hit, COVID, uh, well, when we were in the midst of COVID, our 100% equity strategies uh, and our unconstrained were all sitting at 50% or below uh, equity exposure. And our betas were extremely low. Uh, they were about 35-ish, um, in some cases a little bit higher, uh, but uh, we had already lowered our exposure. So we might have 50% equity in the markets, but if the stock market dropped 10%, we were going to drop three and change. So we had already gotten very defensive with, within that. So doing it incrementally, again, uh, you don't get whipsawed. You don't, you know, you don't zig when you should zag. And then again, if you're, if you're right to begin with, and of course it made, would have made more sense, but you can only find that out in arrears uh, that you're hundred percent correct with it. The problem is that no, most people don't want to sit there and self-evaluate themselves with what they got wrong uh, in those circumstances. So, uh, they're not going to remember those things, or at least they're going to try to guard their ego and uh, and uh, make decisions. So when they go through the next stream, the hardest part for them is to admit that they were wrong. And then when to get back involved. I mean, that's the biggest issue. Yeah. And uh, Jeff, you hit on, a, I think, a great point, which is that when you try to market time in that fashion, you have two critical timing decisions, getting out and then getting back in. And I have seen most of the time, even if they're somewhat successful in getting out, almost never do they get back in. And so they completely miss the recovery. And so they've locked in now a permanent five to 10% loss when they got out and didn't recover. So they would have been better off doing nothing. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that I would I would remind everybody, uh, you know, kind of trying to wrap this up into a nice little bow and, and, uh, uh, and so on is that, I've said this statement again a thousand times before, bull markets climb a wall of worry. Uh, no market goes straight up. And so when we do have these incremental pullbacks in the marketplace, uh, people tend to freak out about it. And that's when we get a lot more phone calls. We get a lot more uh, emails and questioning of, and, and every once in a while, uh, one or two clients that are, are kind of on the extreme viewpoints will make the mistake of, of going to cash and, and getting out. Um, you know, two things there. One is we're already in front of it. You know, we, we have already made our decisions with how to protect their money. It won't be perfect, I promise you, uh, but we will get more right than wrong and over any kind of length of time, a business cycle and so on. Uh, our clients will be very happy with what we're doing for them. Does not mean that we're not gonna have a bad quarter here or there. Does not mean that we're gonna outperform at all times. No one can do that. Again, we would all be sitting on our private islands if we were uh, able to, to outperform at all times. It's just not a, a feasible thing. There's nobody out there that does it. And there's, you know, look at Warren Buffett, who's uh, missed it more than he's made it, uh, but certainly made a name for himself over the years. So the, the one big thing is bull markets climb a wall of worry. The other part is just don't be extreme. 
you know, uh, if you are extreme with your viewpoints uh, and, and making radical decisions with uh, your investments, you're gonna be this 2.9% average annualized return. And again, most people are not gonna score themselves correctly. They don't even know how to, uh, to calculate total return within their portfolios. Uh, and again, I've, I've dealt with psychiatrists, I've dealt with doctors, I've dealt with executives that all you know, have this illusory superiority. They don't wanna think that they're not doing the absolute very best for themselves. But when, when looked at in actuality, uh, their returns have either been negative or uh, disproportionately bad compared to what they thought they were doing. So we're obviously held to a completely different standard. Uh, we will uh, work our way through this, but we're not trying to avoid 5% pullbacks in the market. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind out of all this is that media sells fear and greed. So, I mean, it, we're talking about inflation and all these things, you know, higher taxes, government shutdowns. Uh, there's a lot of kind of bad news that is floating around, uh, especially in your CNBCs and uh, Fox Business News and so on, which obviously we're contributors to. Uh, but when I go on air and talk about these things, I do it in a much more uh, moderate, more uh, calculated way. The thing to keep in mind is, I don't know, the last government shutdown we had was almost a, uh, was over a month. And the markets were up 10%. Do you hear the media talking about that? The last four government shutdowns, the markets have been up, not down. You know, if you look at you know the uh, tax increase that uh, it looks like will probably happen, but of the last 13 tax increases that have occurred going back over 50 years, only one of them created a negative year, and that was in 1969, which was a recessionary year anyway. So why are we, I mean, Nobody wants to pay more taxes, and it's a great headline to sit there and throw out there, but it doesn't have impact. In, in a rising interest rate environment, or if we've got yields moving up, that doesn't have a negative impact on all parts of the markets. But again, the, the media doesn't want to sit there and talk about that. So it's really understand what's going on, understand why it's going on, and if you don't understand, come to us, talk to us about it. We'll, we'll explain it to you in ways uh, that make you know complete sense. Uh, you know, just in the last few days, I've had multiple clients coming to me with very extreme uh, news articles that I'm like, this just isn't going to happen. And it's an everyday you know walk of life things. It's not uh, you know it's in Yahoo Finance. It's in a number of other things out there that you, these articles are popping up, and they're again just selling fear. So be cautious to what you're dealing with. And when you read enough of those scary articles, yeah, it's kind of hard not to have that fear, uh, the fight or flight and choose the flight element of it and want to take extreme measures to protect you, themselves and their family and their, and their finances. But it's the wrong decision. Yeah, Jeff. Well, I'm going to uh, kind of take that quote that you just said and end on that, which is that extreme viewpoints are rarely profitable. And uh, so true when we look at just investor behavior where uh, the cool-headed kind of middle of the road uh, person tends to be the most successful since they're uh, choosing that middle path. So as always, Jeff, I uh, really appreciate your time and expertise and helping us to better understand just the emotions that drive us and how they can lead us astray when it comes to making investment decisions. My pleasure. So and to all of our listeners, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the uh, conversation that you let us uh, share with you today. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy.
LLC is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.